Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc slash soap. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we all doing on this bright, shiny, not so shiny, kind of wet morning? So, yeah, you guys hear all that storm last night? Kind of intense, right? Well, here we are. Uh, we are in Luke 22, verses 24 through 38. And we're going to jump into this. But before we do that, let me pray and then we'll dive in a little deeper. So, Father, we just uh, thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come and um, start by looking at your word. Father, we do pray that you would give um, just revelation as we look into your word, that your word would be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. So, Father, we just pray a blessing on each one that joins us this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke 22, verses 24 to 38. Let me read that first. Okay, so I'm reading from the NIV. Um, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, okay, I'm going to read through the end and we'll come back and unpack that part a little bit. Um, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Really? Okay, we'll see. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me 
is reaching its fulfillment. The, the, the disciple said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Okay, so, well, this is loaded. All right, so let's just kind of um, place where we are, right? So in the verses prior to this, we have the Last Supper, um, communions just happened, and Jesus is talking about what's going to happen to him. And here they are with Jesus, and what are they doing? They are fighting about who was going to be the greatest. So it's, uh, in fact, it's probably a little frightening to think that after Jesus had invested three years into them, you know, they have seen the character of Jesus on display consistently, but yet here they are at the final hours before his betrayal, his arrest, and his crucifixion, and they're arguing about which of them was the greatest. Now, unfortunately, this seems to have been a fairly common topic with them because we find it here. We find it in um, Matthew 18, 1, Matthew 20, 20 to 26, Mark 9, 33 to 34, and Luke 9, 46. So clearly these guys <laughs> have thought about this a few times. So which of them should be considered the greatest? Now, probably Jesus could have settled this right by saying that he was the greatest. But instead, what does Jesus do? Well, he answers his question by what he does. So in John, about what he does in certain situations, right? So in John 13, um, 3 through 5, it tells us that Jesus washed their feet after supper. So what does Jesus do? He shows them that being a servant really is the greatest thing. So what else do we see here? We see that um, Jesus is patient, right? He has this gentle correction. You know, his disciples are squabbling. They're fighting. He obviously has, has bigger things to be thinking about, right? This is right before the resurrection, but yet he's quiet and he's patient in his correction. Now, the same holds true for us, right? We know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, he is patiently waiting, patiently interceding for us. But here's, here's one thing I want us to take note of. Don't mistake Jesus' patience for approval or acceptance of our misbehavior, right? How often are we like the disciples, squabbling and looking for position, looking for, you know, wanting to be the greatest? But yet Jesus is quietly interceding for us. That's a powerful thought. But don't mistake that for acceptance or approval. Because eventually there will be judgment, right? Judgment will come. Okay, so let us look at, let me just scroll up here, verse 25. It says, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Now, when we look at the world, right, the world exercises authority and power with a certain style. Um, at the end of the day, it's all about self-exaltation, right? About exalting the self. 
Now, Jesus wasn't like that, and neither should we be like that. In fact, he says the greater should be like the younger. Now, what do we know about the younger son or the oldest son, right? If we look at um, biblical tradition, it's always the older one that's favored, right? It's the older one who gets the blessing, the older one who is selected, you know, as the one who has favor. So he says, greater should be like the youngest. So the one who is not favored by society, you could almost say the outcast. And the one who governs should be like the one who serves. Um, he uses the word, they call themselves benefactors. Now, what's a benefactor? A benefactor is someone who provides resources or you know, is the one who gives. And so the benefactor is often the one getting the credit. But really, we, I think another way of looking at that is, um, so some people will only serve if they can be assured of getting credit, right? But in fact, we should do the opposite. We should be the ones who offer the resources. Uh, we should be the one who are making ourselves less and serving others and not looking for the credit. Are we doing tracking with me so far? Everyone good? Okay, good. All right. Now, in the ancient world, um, it was accepted that age gave privileges or got it, and the youngest was, by definition, the lowliest. So verse 27 says, for who is greater, the one, who's, one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? Okay, so again, the world regards the one who is served as greater, but Jesus is showing us that greatness is actually in the serving more than being served. Now, think about if the president took a month off, would we really even notice? Probably not. But if all the trash collectors in our neighborhoods took the month off, would we notice? Uh, yeah, we would, right? So Jesus is trying to rearrange our thinking, trying to rearrange our priorities. Okay? But then he goes on to say, but I am among you as one who serves. Okay, so living as a servant is the best way to live, right? Like Jesus, we have to become um, less concerned about our own honor and our own credit, right? That way we won't walk around with hurt feelings or disappointment, right? Because our expectations have been flipped around because our desire will be to serve rather than to be served. Okay. All right, so going on a little bit. Um, so here's another thing. Jesus didn't mean that if you serve in a lower place that you will always be given a great place, right? What he's saying that in God's eyes, the lowly place is the great place. Does that make sense? Because how did God demonstrate his greatness? Not in the glory of his eternal throne, but rather in the depth of the gift of Jesus' gift on the cross, right? Jesus became less for us, gave everything for us. So the lowly place is the great place. 
you guys tracking with that? Don't miss that, right? Because God himself said, I'm going to become fully human. Not only that, I'm going to give myself fully for you in death so that you may live. That is service. That is greatness. Okay. So, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, there was a sign that said, you know, king of the Jews, or he's often referred to as the king of kings. But the title that Jesus prefers is the servant of servants, right? To be called a servant. So what do we want to be called? Okay, so I got a question here. So as we consider, you know, what does it mean? Well, who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Let's think about our motivation for doing things, right? Is it to be elevated in status or importance, or is it to build the kingdom of God by serving each other? Right? How does the kingdom benefit? Um, I recently, I'm going to say this carefully, everyone and his dog is on social media nowadays, right? And it's easy to post something on social media without weighing the cost of what you say. And I tell people, when you post something, when you say something, when you make a statement, whatever it is, to a friend, to a family member, how is it building the kingdom? Who's winning and who's losing by the things we do, right? Are we truly serving the kingdom? our actions. I think it's just really important that we weigh everything we do on who's, is the kingdom winning or losing? Because so often we we make statements or say things out of selfish uh, desires or just out of misunderstanding. And so, yeah, you know, pride, and thanks, Doug, for that, that comment over there, you know, Pride is the bait of Satan, right? It's one of the things he uses to suck us into um, elevating ourselves. So let's be careful about that. Okay, let's take a look at verses 28 through 30, which is titled um, 28. All right. So you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's saying that the disciples would get a unique reward because they are the ones who have continued with Jesus in his trials. You know, Jesus is saying, I value and appreciate the support you have for me. Now, you know, Revelations talks about the 12 foundations of the wall of the New Jerusalem, right? 12, the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, being a servant doesn't mean that we are not rewarded, right? In fact, it's quite the opposite. God's greatest servants receive the greatest gifts, not necessarily here in this lifetime, but in the in the in the grand scheme of eternity, right? A great servant does not serve for the sake of a reward, but for the sake of God's glory, right? What? How much glory is God getting from our service? 
Oh, it's a little little application, yeah. So Jesus is encouraging the disciples to have an eternity mindset. Right? So think about if everything we does is focused on how do we get other people you know into eternity with Jesus, and that's gonna change how we do things, right? You think about your life on earth, your life on earth is like one grain of sand compared to the entirety of all the grains of sand and all the beaches of the world, right? That's kind of like eternity. We can't count that. That's forever. So if we consider that our life on earth is short and temporary and we focus on eternity, that should affect how we live our lives, how we do things, right? Okay. Um, this next part might be my favorite part of this. So, okay, here we go. So we're in verse, around verse 31. Um, so basically, I'm going to read 31 to 34 real quick. So Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Okay. So first thing to notice here, it's a spiritual battle, right? Ephesians 6.12, for the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So, it starts out by saying Satan is asked to sift all of you as, as we. It's a spiritual battle, right? We are not fighting against other, we're fighting against the dark forces in the of evil in the spiritual, spiritual heavenly realms. Don't miss this. We tend to focus on people rather than the true source of the issue, right? And Jesus was very aware of the spiritual battle behind the scenes. Um, Peter was ignorant of the fact that Satan had asked for him that he may be sifted as wheat. Satan wanted to completely crush and defeat Peter. Um, I think it would be good to just go back to remember and see how Satan operates in these cases. So remember Job, right? In Job 1 verse 6, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Right? So imagine, you know, these angels gathering. And it goes on to say, and Satan also came with them. Now... He looked just like them, so they didn't even notice him there, right? So we all think of Satan as this creepy guy with horns and a tail, but he's an angel. He was an angel. He looks like them, and he's here with the other angels, and God sees him, and, he's, and the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And then this is whole. Um, interaction where they talk about Job, and I can imagine that Satan has done the same thing about Peter, and 
So apparently Satan wanted to do much more against Peter than the Lord would allow, right? Satan could not do whatever he wanted against Peter, but he had to ask God for permission. And so just think about this. This is a spiritual thing going on in the spiritual realm. And then he says, I have prayed for you. A very, very powerful statement. Now, if I say I prayed for you, okay, that's cool. But when Jesus says he prayed for me, I think I kind of have to take that serious, right? Here is God's son, right? The only perfect human, the one who is sitting at the right-hand side of the Father is saying, I have prayed for you. So it's incredible and moving to remember that Jesus prays for you. It's not just a guy next door, it's Jesus himself. And he's protecting us um, from Satan. Uh, there's probably many times that we could have perished or fall by the wayside. That's not God's plan, right? So Jesus prays for us and intercedes for us and protects us. Um, then he goes on to say, um, where am I? He goes on to say um, that your faith may not fail. Peter's faith did falter, right? But ultimately it didn't fail. Now, Jesus did not see that the temporary lapse that was to come as a failure because he knew that Peter would return to him, right? So are we perfect? No. Um, will we fail? Yes. Isn't that what grace is all about, right? Grace is all about... And no matter what you did in the past, in the present, in the future, Jesus' death on the cross has freed us from the curse of sin, right? So if we don't look to fail, but the fact is we will fail, and that's what grace is all about. Now, let's look at our journey of sanctification, right? To be sanctified means to be set apart, right? And we are set apart as Christians, and our goal is to become more like Jesus. Now, the reality is, as we draw closer to the light, what does the light do? The light reveals things. As we get closer to Jesus, all the junk in our life gets revealed. And it's at that moment that we have a choice to make, right? Do we deal with it or do we not? Because God is a God of grace and mercy. So we grow on the journey through our failures. We get stronger. We grow. We are strengthened. Okay? Guys still with me? All right. Okay, we're still doing okay. Um, all right, so failure is guaranteed, right? It's what we do with it. It's how we push into the grace that Jesus offers that's either going to help us grow or not. So we, we make a choice. So it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? And it's along the journey that God is doing things in us that he wants to use to build his kingdom. Okay. Then he goes on to say, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers and sisters. So he's saying, yes, 
you can recover from failure, absolutely. It's not a if, it's when. But when you do that, strengthen your brothers and sisters. So what does you mean? So a couple of things I would take out of that. Um, think about something goes wrong, we fix the situation, and we've got a few choices. We can either bring the glory back on ourselves and go, oh, yeah, see how I fix that situation. But that's not what he's saying, right? He says, strengthen your brothers and sisters. So don't bring the glory on yourself because you didn't do it. God in his mercy and through the power of the Holy Spirit brought you through and allowed you, gave you the ability to come back. Okay. So, yep, somebody just posted. It's the process of refinement, right? It's the refinest fire. Now, so remember, it's God who does it through the Holy Spirit and not in our own strength and don't bring the glory on yourself. And then two, strengthen your brothers and sisters. So as you turn back, right, from the situation, use it to help others maybe in the same situation, right? That's where our story becomes powerful. That's where our experiences on the journey throughout the marathon, like through the valleys, right? That's when we can benefit the kingdom by using the experience in an attitude of humility, right? So everything that happens to us, God wants to use for his glory and to build his kingdom. Okay, so it's in an attitude of humility. Then he goes on to say, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, um, both to prison and to death. Now, Peter's not consciously lying here, right? He's just unaware of the spiritual reality and the spiritual battle that Jesus could see that he couldn't. Now, you know, Peter is probably, um, they've just come out of the, the Last Supper, right? They've just experienced communion. So there's a lot of emotions going on right here. And so there's a lot of feelings going on. And um, he's probably feeling pretty brave at the moment, but he's feeling brave in the midst of his emotions. And he's sitting with Jesus, right? So I think the point here is, Relying on you, how you feel at a moment in time is not a stable foundation. It's not the thing that should drive us. So Peter felt brave, but then not long after this, he was intimidated by a humble servant girl. And what did he do? He denied Jesus. So pretty, pretty crazy. Right. And somebody just posted in the chat there, feelings are not facts, right? Feelings are just that. They're just feelings. So it is sometimes easier to bear a great load for Christ than a small one. So how do we carry ourselves with our neighbors and colleagues? How are we allowing our feelings to drive us? Um, verse 34 says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So Jesus tells Peter the truth about himself, not to discourage him, but 
to let him know that there's a spiritual reality and a spiritual battle that you're unaware of that Jesus knows about. So application, remember it's a spiritual battle, right? So think about when you're at church, uh, there's incredible worship happening and you're feeling great. It's easy to be brave in that moment, right? It's easy to feel strong. Think about when you're in your connect group and things are really jelling and going well and people are sharing and you are encouraged. It might be easy in that situation to feel brave and strong. But how do we react you know, when the rubber meets the road when in the real world? How many times will we deny Jesus throughout? And I made a list of things that I probably do. How will we deny Jesus through our one, our inaction, right? So by not doing something, by our silence, right? Sometimes we remain silent when we should be speaking truth. Um, how will we deny Jesus through the choices we make? Am I going to choose, am I going to value sin more than my relationship with God? When I choose to do those things, I deny Jesus, right? Um, maybe it's by not caring for my neighbors or my family, whatever it is. But so my, my challenge here to you is, how many times will we deny Jesus through the things we choose to do or not do, right? Because when we do that, uh, well, we lose the battle, right? We lose the spiritual battle. Okay. Um, coming towards the end of this year, uh, verses 35 to 38. So this is the, the readiness part here where Jesus is calling them to read, readiness. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Why did he say that? So I think the intent of Jesus here is saying, hey, I'm about to leave you. When I'm gone, you've got to use your own common sense, right? So be ready. So have the means for provision and protection. So practical considerations, right? So the disciples had been sent out before, right? But They'd done ministry before without Jesus. And most of the time they were received with goodwill, hospitality. Now they were facing a hostile world without Jesus. And Jesus is saying, go, but be prepared. And he's, he's saying, be prepared in two ways. One, in your provision and your protection. Now, they are a little bit confused, as they often are. And they say, well, um, yeah, look, we have two swords. And Jesus says, that's enough. And he's not saying two swords is enough. He's just saying enough of this kind of talk, right? He wanted to end the conversation because they weren't getting there. But the point is for us, right? So how are we, what is our means of provision and protection, right? What are we going to do? So one is exactly what we're doing right now. Right, the word of God is our sword, right? It is the primary weapon we have as we go into the world. 
and so don't neglect this weapon. And then I ask, can we be be prepared and provide for ourselves, right? Is to be in community with each other, right? So like we are here in connect groups, attending worship, we have to be filled up. We have to have the spiritual provision poured into us so that we can be prepared to go into the world, all right? So do not <laughs> neglect um, preparing for living in the world that we live in. Okay, so how are we doing? Everyone good? All doing okay? Right, so a lot of things here, right? So serve others, right? Have a eternity mindset. Um, right, don't miss that. Remember, 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 it's a spiritual battle. And then prepare yourself for the battle that we go into through the things we've discussed, through the things that we've already spoken. So thank you guys for tuning in. I'm going to pray for you guys. Um, you can also pray for us. Uh, tomorrow, hopefully, um, we will have the helicopter aircraft. So please pray for the rain to go away. We need to make that decision today by 8 o'clock to figure out what we're going to do uh, because these are opportunities for people to cross the threshold, right? to come into community with those who love Christ. So let's pray and, and then I'll let you guys go. Father, we thank you for what you are teaching us through your word. Father, we pray that you would allow us to be humble, that you would allow us to be um, the servant of all. Father, because that's uh, what you did by giving your son. And Jesus, we thank you that you became the lowest so that we might have life and have life to the fullest. Father, we thank you for um, the fact that you pray for us, that you intercede for us. Father, we recognize that it is a spiritual battle, that the battle is not against flesh and blood. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us, that your Holy Spirit would fill us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us, Father, and just give us uh, insight into the things of this world. Father, we pray that we would be prepared um, through the reading of your word, through prayer, by gathering and coming into community which, with each other. Father, I pray for each one today that we would not deny you through our actions, but that rather that we would uh, acknowledge you and make you known by the things we say and the things we do. So, Father, I pray for each one. Father, we worship you. We praise you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have an awesome day.